after Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Happy Sunday, Trinity Central. It is such an honor to be with you in this uh, space today. I don't know if you know this about your pastor, Reese Scott, but he is well known in the circle that I run with. In fact, he's got an amazing reputation. I knew about Reese long before uh, I actually met Reese. And now, man, it's been great to get to know him better along with Sarah and, and the family. And Uh, Wow. So thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here and to contribute into what you guys are doing in your great city. Well, today I want to speak to you out of Isaiah, very famous passage, Isaiah 6. It's one through eight. I'm reading out of the ESV translation. If you want to take a second to get a Bible, that would be great. I'm going to read these verses and then we'll chat. So in Isaiah 6, one through eight, this is what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. I met my wife about 22 years ago. And for me, I just instantly knew that that she was the one. Now, she needed a little bit more time to warm up to the idea because like Reese, my wife was way, way out of my league. And so I felt fortunate to have met her. In fact, without some like divine intervention and things happening and man, we, we would have never met because from a distance, we were not each other's type. Um, she's from the creative, artistic world of beauty and feelings. I'm from the efficient, driven world of productivity and ideas. She's about the present and fostering connection. I'm about, uh, you know, the future and fostering action. She's like, I mean, she loves to design. She's, art, man, she's just fantastic decorating furniture and all that kind of stuff. I, I think when we met, all, our wall, all my walls were white. I don't think I had one, anything on the walls. It was all overhead lighting, nothing she, she likes design. I'm into sports. Uh, she's into variety. I'm into sameness. Like she had more variety in her diet in a week when we met than I had like really my entire life. I mean, she introduced me to so many different foods from a distance. I mean, it, we were not each other's type. Uh, from a distance, um, man, I just don't even know how we got together. So what, what happened? Because we did get together. We've been married happily for 20 years. Uh, what bridged the gap? What made the difference? Well, quite simply, I met her. I encountered her. Uh, now I eat quinoa, or some people call quinoa. Uh, now I watch shows on design and baking, and, and not, even when the big game is on. Um, 
Now I have a line item in my budget called furniture and there's things on my wall and and they're different. I mean, everything about my world has changed because I encountered Rachel. Listen, some encounters are so powerful, they can be life-changing. And there is no more powerful encounter than to encounter the living God of the Bible. The... uh, and this may help some of you who are trying to figure out Christianity. Because I hear all the time, some people say to me, you know, you know, Brian, I'm just not the Christian type. You know, there's a type of person who's a Christian, and I'm just not that type. This may help you. No one is that type. Romans 3, uh, 10 through 11 says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one is God's type. Now, it begs the question, how are there like 2 billion people on the face of this green and blue planet right now worshiping Jesus, gathering together, whether in person or online? Some are doing that at the risk of their life, giving away large chunks of money, serving without any expectation in return, willing to die to personal ambitions to do whatever and go wherever he asks. What happens? People encountered him. That's what happens. We encounter him. That's what happened to Isaiah. He encountered God and he had his life ambition turned around. You see, here's what's true. Before we, we, we approach God's presence wanting him to be available to us, but we leave God's presence wanting ourselves to be made available to him. And that's what happened to Isaiah. He heard the voice of the Lord and the voice of the Lord said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, okay, here I am, send me. He's responding to the heart of God that wants to reach people, that wants to send, he wants to send Christians out in the world to reach more and more people. The big picture of the Bible is that God is a father and he's after a family of every tribe, of every tongue, and he's going to get it through his glorious church. The big agenda of God is that he is on a search and rescue mission for his lost kids all throughout the world. Now, even though that these lost kids have rebelled against him and they have values that are at odds with his kingdom. He loves them nonetheless, and he wants to reach them and bring them back into his family. And the way he reaches them is through his church. But it's been my experience that the, the posture of Christians isn't always the posture of God when it comes to the world. They have different views of the world. In fact, I don't know how true this is in Vancouver. I know it's true in the U.S., but uh, many Christians, they view that their, their posture toward the world is that they judge the world. They see Christians as the good guys and, and non-Christians or secular people as the bad guys. And it's the job of the good guys to beat the bad guys. But listen, Jesus did not come to beat the bad guys. He came to be beaten for the bad guys. Our posture should not be to judge the world. Religion divides the world into the good and the bad. The gospel divides the world into us and Jesus. He came to be beaten for the bad guys. Some Christians, uh, it's it's not that they want to judge the world. They know they shouldn't do that, but they want to avoid the world. This group practiced social distancing way before social distancing was a thing. In fact, they just would not want to get close to anyone or they're going to catch the sinnies. They think they have to stay separate. They, they, and their desire for holiness, which is a good thing, and their desire for holiness, they, they hunker down and they withdraw and they create a whole different subculture of, you know, of Christian music and Christian schools and Christian clothes and Christian neighborhoods. And 
And, and some of that stuff is all fine and good. And, and actually, I want to commend their desire for holiness. That's a good thing. They understand that God has called them to be distinct and different. But what they miss is that in order to have the holiness of God, you need to have the heart of God. And it is the heart of God. Uh, it's important to remember that God left the safety of heaven to come to the vulnerability of earth. If, if, if the heart of God was to stay separate and, and not make yourself vulnerable, I mean, he never would have came. But it's the heart of God to come up amongst. In fact, when he walked this earth, he came, he had a nickname. It was called the friend of sinners. And the last thing he said to us before he went into heaven was not go into your home and hide, but to go in the world, go into the world and share. I am so glad, I'm sure you are too, that Jesus did not keep his distance from sinners. He did not avoid the world. Some don't want to judge, they don't avoid, but they, they want to mirror the world. Now, what's interesting about those who want to mirror the world, that is be like the world, is that they're also motivated by fear, but they're not motivated by fear that they'll be affected by the world. They're motivated by fear that they'll be rejected by the world. They, they've fallen in love with the way the world does things and they're very similar. Their values have assimilated. Their mindset has assimilated and they, and they want to uh, they want to be like, because they don't want to be rejected. Now, on one hand, again, I want to commend this group too for staying connected, for being amongst their compassion. is fantastic, building bridges, savvy with culture, something the church desperately, desperately needs. But what they have missed is that they've had a migration of hope in their heart to where they see they put in too much uh, hope in what the world can do, what man can do, and, and, and lost faith in what God can do through them. Um, you know, like Daniel. Daniel was someone who was invited into the king's court. He was, I mean, he was very savvy, very connected. He was invited into the king's court, but he refused to eat the king's food. And so God's hope for, the, for us is that we would not be those who would judge the world, avoid the world, or mirror the world, but he wants us to transform the world by reaching him because that's God's heart. God's heart, he's a father. He's after a family. He wants us to be distinct and different. He wants us to look like him and represent him. And if we represent him, if we are salt and light, we're going to stand out. We're going to be different. In fact, Paul said to the Philippians that we would pop out like lights among a crooked generation, but our posture is to be motivated by love to reach the world. That's why God says he's communicating his heart to reach the world. He says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And when Isaiah encountered God, when, when he encountered the heart of God, he said, here I am, send me. I want, I want your heart. I want to, I want to, I want to be about what you're about, God. If you're about reaching people, I want to be about reaching people. And here's what's true. Encounter with God always leads to mission with God. I mean, this is all throughout the Bible. Abraham encounters God. God sends him out into mission. Moses encounters God, burning bush, mission into Egypt. Jeremiah, the same way, Isaiah here. And then on into the New Testament. In fact, in fact, when Jesus is calling people, um, he, he's inviting people to come along with him. And, as, and in Mark 1, 17, he said to them, follow me and I will make you become. Now, for you Bible scholars, I mean, don't blurt out the answer, but there's a lot of things we could put in there, a lot of good things. Like, man, you know, being a more moral person, yes and amen. I think if you follow Jesus, you'll become a more moral, per more moral person. 
Bible scholar. Man, I think if you follow Jesus, you're going to love the word of God, be submitted to the word of God. Uh, there's a lot of really good things that he could have been put in there. But fundamentally, when you encounter Jesus, when you follow Jesus, the primary thing that he wants to do is he wants to make you a fisher of men. That's his mission. He said quite plainly in Luke 19, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And his prayer in John 17 is as he's been sent, so he was sent to seek and save the lost, so he sends us. He was sent to seek and save the lost. We are sent to seek and save the lost. Whenever he asks, whatever he asks, and wherever he asks, whatever the cost we want to do, God is not okay with lost things. He tells three parables in Luke 15 about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. He's just not okay with this. He does not want us to be okay. And the truth is, as a parent, you're not okay either. Every parent has had that moment where you've momentarily feel like you've lost your child and the world stops in that moment as you seek after that lost child. Nothing else is important. You become so bold in that moment. I mean, even if you're an introvert, you're just going up to everyone. Will you help me? Will you help me? Have you seen her? Have you seen her? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? We become bold we, because that, that in those moments, in those moments, that's what's most important. In fact, those of, and people who are really your friends, they share your heart too. I mean, if you had a friend who is apathetic to your lost child, literal lost child in a store, in a crowd, wherever, they wouldn't really, they wouldn't really be connected to you because they're not sharing your heart in that moment, right? So, I mean, that's happened to me and you know, you've got kids that are huggers and you have kids who are runners and the runners run off and you have to keep your eye on them. And, I, and I've been in that place too where like, man, people just, like, just seem uninterested in helping helping me out. And you're like, man, you don't have my heart or my kids. They get distracted, you know, like in the middle of searching for my kid. I remember one time, you know, uh, I've got three kids and, and one of them, the, the, one of the huggers was like, hey, are we still getting chocolate tonight? And I'm like, man, that's a really great question. If your sister was not lost right now. And I think the things that we pray about, I mean, I think we should pray about every little thing. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. So keep praying those prayers. Uh, but I remember once I was challenged by this question um, about five years ago. Someone asked me, hey, if all your prayers were answered last year, what would be different about your life? I was like, whoa, that's a good question. And man, God's heart is after lost people. And I think in those moments, we, we understand that. Now, before you feel too guilty, this is not a message about how you should be better. Like go and do better, go and do better. Man, how do we, if this isn't something that's just, I mean, you're just, you're just brimming with passion over. What do you do? Well, we need to do what Isaiah did, which is that we need to encounter him. So what does an encounter look like? I just want to spend the rest of our minutes real, real quick here talking about what an encounter looks like because that's what you and I need the most. You and I need an encounter with him to capture the heart of God so that we would be those who say, yeah, here I am, send me. I want to go and seek and save the lost. So what does an encounter look like? Well, in verse one, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, here's what you need to know uh, about the ancient Near East. The length of the train on someone's robe depended on the size of their kingdom. So if you had a large kingdom, you had a very large 
train to your robe. If you had a small kingdom, then the train on your robe would be very small. What's being communicated here is that the train, when it says that the train of God's robe filled the temple, it's saying there is absolutely no room for anyone else's authority in the presence of God. He is the main dish and there is no side dish. About a year ago, I went to a restaurant and I got a 32 ounce steak. And and you don't have to be a vegan to realize that that's excessive. It was such an excessive piece of meat that there was no, it came with no side dish because there was no room for another side dish. When God comes into your life, when you encounter his presence, there is no room for any other authority. You lay your ambition down. You, you You don't want uh, you, in, you approach his presence. Let me say it this way. You approach his presence wanting him to be available to you. But when you really encounter him, you want to be made available to him. And there's no other room for your authority. He just takes over. And then, so that's one thing. Then it moves on. It says, uh, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Seraphim were angels, all right? Um, now, seraph means burning one. And the I am, the im, just is a plural form. So this group of burning beings is what we call angels, which is a different picture when we typically think of angels. When we think of angels, we think of a naked baby with wings and a harp. And that's just not the picture in the Bible. Uh, and it's not the kind of picture, the, the picture we see here. In fact, here's a little fun Bible trivia. Did you know that the two most common phrases in the Bible said by angels are fear not and give up and get up? Fear not and get up. And here's why. When angels enter the room, I mean, it is a scary scene. So, so when you encounter the presence of God, there's a sense of awe. In fact, um, if we go on, it says, and one called to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy. Now, why the repetition? Well, in the English language, there's like over a million words. In the Hebrew language, there's about six or 8,000 words. So we have tons of choices to talk, you know, to describe something. So if we want to say something is really big, we can say it's, you know, gigantic. We can say it's enormous. We can combine the two. We can say it's ginormous. We can, we can say all kinds of things. But for them to express or put emphasis, they would repeat something twice. So even Jesus would say, you know, truly, truly, I say to you, this is like real for real. Like, you know, really pay attention. This is really true. And, but there's only one place in the Bible, there's only one place in the Bible where a word is mentioned three times and you're looking at it. And this is important because it doesn't describe God. The angels are not describing God as power, power, power. They're not describing God. The main thing about God is not power, power, power. It's not love, 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 although he's both those things. It's holy, holy, holy. Not talking about moral purity, but what this word means, means separate, not like us. So in other words, these angels are saying, you are not like me. You are not like me. You are not like me. You are not like us. You are not like us. You are not like us. You are big and we are small. You are high and we are low. You are great and we are not. There's this gap between us and Isaiah feels this gap. That's what it means to encounter the presence of the Lord. It means that there is no room for your authority. It means that you are in this place of awe and you feel the gap. Like God is not like just a little bit taller than you. I mean, he's like not even, he's not, he's off the charts. 
He's not even close. And so Isaiah feels this gap and he's like, woe is me. Woe is me for I am, I am, uh, and I have unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of an unclean lip. So one of the things that means to encounter God is to become aware of how you fall short of your own sinfulness. And then Isaiah recognizes this big gap and check this out. The seraphim, he took a burning coal and touched that part of Isaiah's expressed sinfulness. And he says, behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt has been taken away and your sin has been atoned for. Isaiah was scared because it looked like God was going to come down on him. And that's what it means to really encounter God's presence is to, to have this awareness that you deserve God's judgment. Isaiah thought he was going to die, but Isaiah walked out of there a free man. And the truth is, is because his sin was atoned for. He, his sin was atoned for because God's judgment did not come down on Isaiah, but it came down on his son. Jesus went to an altar. He went to, his, to the cross and he's taken the, God has taken the blood of Jesus and he has marked us clean. He has touched that place of us. He has touched that place of our guilt and he has atoned for our sins. Some of us have a picture of God that's powerful, but he's not loving. He's, he's to be feared, but he's also to be avoided. Some of us have a picture of God that's all loving, but he's not powerful. So there's a lot of sentimentality and warm fuzzies, but we don't really take him seriously. But what if God, what if the God of the Bible is both simultaneously the most powerful and the most loving being imaginable? That's why he's holy, holy, holy. That's why he's not like us, not like us, not like us. Because those two things don't go together. Ultimate power and ultimate love. He's terrifying. There's no room for any other authority, but he is gentle. We see in Jesus that he's emptied himself of all of his rights and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So your sin and my sin could be atoned for. Isaiah experienced this grace. He, he, knew, he knows that he, he was supposed to receive judgment, but he did not receive judgment. He received mercy. And in an experience of this love, he's like, I'm in. I'll do, what, I'll do whatever, whenever, however. I'm in, I'm in, I'm so in. It's terrifying, but I'm in. Uh, I'm in, I'm in. We approach God's presence wanting God to be available to us. But when we encounter him, we want to be made available to him. And we go out on mission with him to go find lost people and bring them back home to the loving arms of their savior. So what does this look like? Well, it looks a lot different in during COVID than it did pre-COVID. But essentially, so I won't give a lot of how-tos, but just I think I would encourage you this way. It means to take responsibility for the lost people in your life. So, I mean, I just would encourage you to text them, to, to serve them, to share why you have hope in this season as everything seems to be taken away and, um, you know, rights are being limited. And, you know, how are you surviving? How are you more than surviving? How are you thriving? And we don't know what church is going to look like the rest of the year. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But we know this, regardless, people need to know the hope of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is for every season and physical confinement does not limit our, wit our, our witness. In fact, the apostle Paul, the most prolific church planter, spent five of his prime ministry years in physical confinement, in prison. He, he spent five of his years, prime years in prison. He said this 
uh, in 2 Timothy 9. He says, I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. It's on the loose. In fact, he told the Philippians, he goes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me and what had happened to him is that he was in prison. He was chained to another guard 24-7. He was in the worst kind of prison. He was probably on death row when he's writing this. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. May this be a season where Trinity Central looks back at this pandemic and said it really served the gospel because it's not bound. We have hope. And we have to remember this is not about us, but we have to keep going back in him and saying, oh my gosh, like if we encounter his presence, man, it's going to fill us with boldness. It's going to fill us with boldness. Like if he is for us, who can be against us? No one is this type. Nobody is an evangelist. Nobody, nobody wants to do this. It only happens. It's only going to happen as we encounter him. So that's what I want to do. I just want to pray for you that you would right now experience the living God of the Bible, the same God that Isaiah encountered. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that this, yet your presence that was once lethal to us is now love to us. There was a power that was against us that is now for us. So Lord, we just declare, Lord, if you are for us, who could be against us? And God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters right now that you're presence would just fall upon them even now. Uh, Lord, just wherever they're at, in their living room, in their kitchen, on their back porch, wherever, in their car, wherever, wherever they're at, God, I just pray for your presence. Lord, I pray for real encounter with you. So like Isaiah, that we would be say, yeah, I want your heart. God, if you're a father looking for a family and we want that heart, we want that shepherding heart that's willing to make ourselves vulnerable so that, you, so that many, many people can come to know you. You've got billions of lost kids all scattered throughout the world. You are on a search and rescue mission. And God, we want to be with you on that. In your name, amen. Thanks again for letting me uh, speak into your situation. God bless you.